The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Hello there, Thunder buddies and travellers down Thunder Road. It is us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, here as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Uh, I am your host for this evening, your master brewer on Thunder Road in the Thunder Road distillery, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined by my faithful co-host, the, the Husky the bassy Lee Malone. How are you? I, I thought you were going to throw in a Husky there. I was thinking maybe a Husky Harris reference. Husky. <laughs> yeah i'm a little bit sick this week so if my voice is a little bit different that's why yeah it's funny if we had recorded this a couple of days earlier our voices still would have been gone from the wrestling at the weekend so we would have kind of sounded a bit similar then and it wasn't because of wcw wrestling we should say we we should absolutely say that nothing about WCW gets us that passionate, that's for sure. But I suppose that's, that's probably where we should uh, start before we get into the WCW at all. We saw a whole hell of a lot of wrestling in person this weekend, Lee. We saw a lot of wrestling. I actually ended up going to both shows, even though I said I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Famous <laughs> last words. You said it on this very program, I, I did, believe. actually, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Oh, God. What a, what a weekend. Uh, uh, yeah, we went to... OTT's fifth year anniversary weekend. Yeah, uh, and uh, Defiance Tree was this Sunday afternoon show, which is obviously OTT's all women shows. Yeah, um, both shows fantastic in their own right. Um, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't just mention very briefly uh, what I just described on Twitter moments before we started as a religious experience. Um, that was uh, Jordan Devlin, David Starr. Um, the main event of this OTT show, the culmination for those of you who don't follow our local promotion uh, over the top wrestling in Ireland, the culmination of a storyline that has been building since June of 2018. Um, And what I think in a lot of people who've been keeping an eye on the promotion, they view it now as one of the best long-term booked stories in independent wrestling history. I I, I mean, I I don't want to overhype it, but I would put it up against the ROH versus CZW field from 2006. I, I yeah. honestly think it's been that good. And you, would, you wouldn't be the only person who has said that, um, for sure. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people have drawn that comparison. And, um, yeah, it's just been, we won't, like, go through the whole thing. Like, it's it's up for you to check it out, if that's your kind of thing. If you want to get a taster for it, go on to OTT's um, YouTube channel, and they have, like, a couple of the matches from this long-term story are up there, and all the hype packages, which are just as big a part of it as the matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all culminated in, in Jordan Devlin, David Starr for the OTT title on Saturday. And I, I've never in my life 
uh, being in a more heated crowd, uh, a raucous crowd. It was just a ph- like a phenomenal match. I think it was the easiest five star rating I've I've given in quite a long time. Uh, as soon as the ratings went up on the grapple app, I was smashing that that five. Um, and yeah, I just haven't been able to stop thinking about it this week. I mean, we all would have been happy. Like, if it was a three and a half star match, just to use a random um, rating, everyone would have been like, it was an amazing culmination to a story. But the fact mm-hmm. that both men, like, and it is both of them, went out and delivered what I can only call a career performance. For sure. And the atmosphere was up there with the very best you're going to see in wrestling this year. I mean, it was 2,000 people there. But my God, it felt it felt bigger than that. It felt like, yeah. I don't know what you could compare it to because I don't, I, I've never experienced anything like it. Yeah. I think Alan, uh, our friend Alan Forrell, who I'll mention again shortly, um, had a tweet during the match saying that he felt like he was standing in the Mid-South Coliseum. So for our American friends, that's the level of heat we're talking about here. Um, this crowd was just I, I can't remember sitting down for a second of this match and myself and Alan were trying to think about how long this match went on for and I think it went on for the guts of 40 minutes Um, from the moment say the entrance has started to when the pinfall came and then there's a couple of minutes after it like you know and I don't think anybody was sitting and if they were sitting they weren't sitting for long and, and, and I mean we obviously we, we go to shows together so we are nearby and I actually chose after intermission to stand out on the uh, steps kind of on my own and enjoy the last two matches and for the like during the entrance and before the match start started i actually went across to you a couple of times and we mentioned a few things and had a bit of a laugh yeah and we didn't speak to each other for the duration of the match yeah didn't need to i mean we were what 10 feet apart yeah and it was just it was the occasional knowing glance, and that was about all that was needed, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, it, it's honestly, go out and watch it. it. Even if you've never watched OTT or Jordan Devlin or David Starr, or Addy, go out and watch this match. Seek this match yeah. out. It is well worth it. All you need, all you really need to enjoy it a lot is the, the video package for this match mm-hmm. and the match. The more of this feud that you watch back, like going back to June 2018 with the Haven for Monsters tag match where it was uh, Loki and Walter against Star and Devlin, um, the the further back the timeline you watch, the the more rewarded you'll be. But you can hop in at that last match and you're going to really, really enjoy it. Um, just to, to pimp before we move into the actual meat and potatoes of why we're here, Lee, uh, speaking of the OTT match, I appeared on the Pro Wrestling Torch website just yesterday as we're recording this. Uh, I was on uh, our good buddy Alan, Alan Forel. I was on the, the Pro Rest Paradise, his show over, uh, it's a PW Torch VIP podcast, uh, and we talked away about the whole OTT weekend there, uh, expanded much more on my thoughts on Devlin Star, which might be the best match I've ever seen live, um, and the, the women's show as well we talked about on Sunday. It was a good show, I think it's about an hour long, there thereabouts, um, very, very enjoyable, love, love having Alan on, and I'm sure we will eventually bug him to be on a Pick Your Poison <laughs> at some stage, because he's, he's a great man to have on a podcast, that's for sure, so go check that one out. Um... Lee, we are here to talk Slamboree 1998. It's a pay-per-view show. We're going big style. I've brought out the beer. Um, let's go. What What are you rocking first? So I, I put up a picture uh, yesterday, actually, on the, I think it was the Thunder account, um, 
of the beer I am drinking right now. It is actually a Chinese beer. It is Tsingtao, I believe it's called, because that was the pronunciation I was taught when I was younger. Um, mm. It's it's one of my favourite beers. I don't often get it, but you, yeah. you can get these, um, I think they're 700 milliliter bottles. They're like bigger yeah. than your average bottle. And, oh God, I love them. <laughs> Uh, I am going with a bottle, and this also came from a suggestion from Twitter, uh, from Cody Sandusky, friend of the show, uh, as he interacts with us quite a bit, has uh, suggested, he suggested this for the last episode of Thunder, and I didn't see this tweet until we had already started recording, so I promised I would drink this beer uh, because the tweet was so good. I, I had asked about the six beers I bought before the last show. I said, someone give me the most persuasive argument as to which beer I should have. Uh, and he said, I would go for the Kinnegar because of the chasing the white rabbit metaphor for drug use. Uh, this is based on the white rabbit logo on the bottle. Seeing as this episode of Thunder has two members of Raven's flock and the former Yete, clearly the creation of someone under the influence I think the metaphor fits so I thought that was great so I have the Kinnegar Lime Burner Pale Ale and I'm just going to attempt to open that now with my stupid fucking bottle <laughs> it would be an episode of Days of Thunder if Dave doesn't struggle with either his microphone or his beer well, the thing is I don't actually have a uh, a normal bottle opener on me so I'm having to use this one that I got to eventually affix to my wall is it a left handed bottle opener it's, that's probably it it's that I got it at the leftorium that's the real problem here um, I think I've got it like this this is this is quality audio my friends I mean there we go there we go typical unprofessionalism from Mr. Ryan it is yeah well that's the that's the level of professionalism I'm known for zero uh, quite frankly but uh, yeah, um, <laughs> one other thing that I suppose uh, we should mention before we go in here, not only did Alan refer to us as a critically acclaimed podcast uh, for reasons that are beyond my understanding uh, in, in his description of the podcast I was on, but uh, we are the, the official Thunder podcast of Le Champion, our new Chris Jericho. Our new close personal friends, Chris Jericho. Yeah, uh, we tweeted out one of the segments that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, won't spoil the segment. But we tweeted out a video that was an excerpt from that segment, uh, and we, we we got the RT of endorsement from uh, from one Christopher Jericho. And I don't know about you, Lee, but my my phone has only started to calm down this evening. Yeah, um, I was actually in work today and I had my phone on the desk, and a friend of mine just asked me, he's like, "Why'd your phone keep buzzing?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not what I expected on a, a dreary bank holiday Monday evening for uh, Le Champion to uh, retweet us and our phones to um, not stop for nearly 24 hours. Yeah, so if, uh, if Chris Jericho has brought you to the programme, thanks Chris, appreciate that. You're welcome as well for the, the, the video being put up. Um, yeah, I suppose it's time. Let's stop beating around the bush, Lee. Let's get in to talk about Slamboree. 1998 uh unbelievably uh already the uh the sixth slambery uh wcw ran uh this is from worcester massachusetts may 17th 1998 and uh wikipedia which i i ended up looking up for a couple of things for once um tells me the attendance of this show was 11,592 strong um 
we start off with an awesome melodramatic video package to begin proceedings but like not one of the oh no seriously it's a brilliant video package things more more one of those kind of this is very funny like it's really over egging it it's a like stock footage of buildings being demolished left right and center as kind of the names and images of the giant savage brett and sting are are shown uh i i laughed quite a lot at this what what was the meaning behind the buildings falling Uh, i this one totally lost me because i mean maybe it's because i'm sick i was just sitting kind of in disbelief watching this because once again it's black and white yeah, as WCW were keen to do on pretty much every pay-per-view opening. Yeah. And I did not get the reference of the buildings falling at all. I mean, I guess if you want to try and read some sort of meta-textual kind of thing into it, you could start talking about maybe the, the crumbling buildings are to signify crumbling alliances with the mm-hmm. uh, giant joining the uh, the NWO and, and, and Brett turning... Um, but I think that would be giving them entirely too much credit. I think they just thought it looked cool. Um, what did you think? This is something we, we talk about in these pay-per-views a bit, Lee. What do you think about the stage? Uh, very nondescript for compared to recent um, pay-per-view shows. Yeah, it wasn't quite the level of um, Spring Stampede with the, the stagecoach. No, but, and, um, and even... Um, wasn't the Super Brawl that we both loved as well? Yeah, with the the kind, the kind of, of like offset. The, the baseball oh, yeah, field entrance, yeah. yeah. Um, um, yeah love that. Now this this one, I, I I did like the logo. I thought the the red and black logo was pretty cool. But yeah. um, the entrance, yeah, I mean, it's not something I'm gonna remember in six months' time. No, uh, the the cursive writing, the the varsity font, and the um, the kind of the way the curtains were hung behind the stage, it very much felt like this is the photo op location at senior prom. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why you'd say that, yeah. Um, our commentary team for the evening, Tony, Brain and Tanae, uh, they're here. And as they're running down the card, I was in bits laughing at the extremely sinister music playing in the background. And it seemed to be almost like increasing in volume as they tried to speak. Um, they point out that uh, the, the big hook for this show is that it's uh, Randy Savage's first ever singles competition uh, against Bret Hart uh, they say Scott Hall is allegedly still missing an action they don't know he's not here yet they don't know if he's going to show up um, I thought right uh, this little bit I don't know how you feel I, I thought they did a really good job of explaining a lot of the stories going into play on the big matches here on the pay-per-view but I, I'm thinking to myself here is this really what you need when, you know, if you're watching this in 1998, you've already bought the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this not something they probably should have been doing in greater detail on that absolute confusing, calamitous go-home thunder they could have used this five minutes on that show? Oh, absolutely. They they should have. But, you yeah. know, let, let's open a pay-per-view by explaining all this stuff that should have been well explained previously. It, yeah. It's very WCW. Yeah, look, I'm not disagreeing with it being there because I think it's cool that, you know, because this was still during the era, era of, like, the pay-per-view party, you know, because these pay-per-views were expensive and until the, the, the WWE Network kind of just tanked the wrestling pay-per-view industry, uh, pay-per-views were quite expensive mm-hmm. and people would kind of club together for big shows and, and all kind of hang out and one person would order the pay-per-view and you'd share the cost. So I, I think you still need the explainer for people who kind of just don't keep 
in touch with WCW all the live long day. Um, but yeah, stuff like this, I think would would also be very much welcome on a on a go home show. Um, we we get a flashback to Eric Bischoff, who will you need to be reminded repeatedly in the show is absolutely not gotten to mm-hmm. uh, by the DX thing. Absolutely not. Don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it's the it's the what what happened on Thunder on the last show we were talking about where he reads out Jerry McDivitt's cease and desist letter. Uh, then it cuts to Doug Dillinger being shown outside with a bunch of plants. Absolute plants is the only way I can I can describe it. Looking for uh, Vince McMahon himself. I, the, the, go on, yeah. I was just going to say, I think the best part of that was the recap was given the full NWO treatment with like black yeah. shot in black and white. It had various camera cuts and um, you know the the uh, promo was jumping all over the place. Just proper NWO um, style stuff. And it's Eric Bischoff reading out an attorney's letter, basically. Yeah, yeah. They really tried to dramatise a man standing in the ring reading the letter, absolutely not rattled about it at all. Um, what did you think about these fans that Doug Dillinger, poor fucking Doug Dillinger, I don't know what they were paying him, but it wasn't enough um, that he had to deal with. Uh, just very definitely not uh, in a forced way having to shout things about how Vince sucks. Yes, and standing by, you know, an it looked like just a door. Didn't even look like you know a back way yeah. in or anything. It, looked, it literally just looked like a side door. Yeah, it didn't look like one of those kind of oh, this is the the big door that all the fancy cars drive in and drop the wrestlers off, where you see people hanging out a lot of these uh, arenas no, to get autographs. It wasn't. Like, it, yeah, it was literally a side door of a cinema, like. Yeah, it was just a door. Like you say, yeah, it may not even have actually been the building in question. <laughs> if, just a door. Just horrible. Poor, just, just absolutely poor. horrible. Like. Yeah, poor Doug Dillinger. He had a lot to do on this show, and oh, that poor guy. Um, we kick off the program, uh, the the wrestling with uh, Benoit versus Finley for the TV title, rubbing my thighs in anticipation. An actual, honest to god, wrestling match kicking things off here. Uh, I was a little bit bothered uh, at the start of this match with Tony referring to the year that they were currently in as nineteen and ninety eight. <laughs> I, I didn't hear that but that's absolutely ridiculous yeah Tony just for about half a second turning into an old timey prospector uh, <laughs> 1998 yeah. um, what, what, um, what did you think of uh, Finley being announced as from Belfast Ireland yeah damn straight <laughs> damn straight in these strange and weird political times we live in in 2019 yeah you never know well when you, well, when you think about what time it was then yeah. as well to be saying like because I, I don't know how keenly aware all our listeners are not necessarily uh, the uh, the most peaceful of lands Northern Ireland no and especially not around like 1998 <laughs> no this would be just that. this would be right after the Good Friday Agreement was signed yeah so this was like finally there was a bit of peace up in Northern Ireland and the fucking Yanks have to go and say it's Ireland <laughs> kick things off Hi guys, it's Dave coming from the Days of Thunder editing suite here on the palatial Thunder estate. 
Um, sadly, at this point in the recording, I was briefly lost. My my computer decided to crash because Skype is a plague upon all of humanity. Um, so you didn't get the last, what I'm sure was probably 30 to 45 seconds of uh, some sort of discourse about Northern Ireland. Uh, we will join right back in the show when we start recording again. Uh, more chat on, on this Finley match. So uh, enjoy and apologies about the brief loss of sound. Lee, this was extremely the kind of wrestling I wanted to open up a pay-per-view, especially after a weekend of enjoying live wrestling myself. Uh, and that was to start off with some lovely groundwork. Yeah, the, the, this wrestling, this is how you open a pay-per-view. You put two of your best, hardest-hitting wrestlers out there, give them plenty of time, and just let them fucking grapple and beat the piss out of each other yeah we had uh finley doing some some joint manipulation which i know is going to make uh certain friends of ours namely jamesy very happy um mm. there was a, a power slam benoit hit in here very early in the match that was just like made randy orton's look like he moves in treacle it was that quick um the the story I enjoyed of the match is kind of like because we've talked about uh, before how Benoit's character uh, in his matches is that of the man who you know no matter how much you try and beat him down like he's just so tenacious and he just keeps coming at you like he's a goddamn Terminator or some shit. Um, it, it's the Vince McMahon. He's a he's a pit bull. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, absolutely. He is, Finley is trying to wear him down. Uh, work the limbs or whatever kind of work him on the ground to try and exhaust him but Benoit just keeps firing back at him I think it's a simple story um, I don't know if the crowd knew in the first minute or two what to make of it but they start really really getting into it then um, yeah as the match progresses you can, you can see the crowd um, like they're visibly getting more invested in what's going on yeah and especially um as the match progresses, you see Finley getting more and more annoyed with Benoit firing back. So he starts trying to take shortcuts to keep him down. Um, so he's doing things like getting an eye poke on Benoit to buy himself a little bit of time. And most gruesomely, and it's a, it's a spot very much associated with Chris Benoit, uh, swinging a chair at him while he's doing his suicide dive to the outside uh, to get the heat. Yeah, that's a word I don't want to use in a Chris Benoit match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, an unfortunate name for that move, but that is the move he did. And it didn't, we've seen it in, was it the, is it the Jericho ladder match is the one where like it's pretty much 100% chair oh. on skull? Yeah, he, he literally, yeah, jumps into a steel chair. Yeah, um, so it's not quite that bad. It's not great though. Um, uh, and obviously again yeah but with the name of the move and the amount of head trauma uh, an unfortunate moment that's for sure I'll tell you what I was surprised to see uh, Finley get um, Finley sucks chance because he, like for a character that we haven't seen that much he's pretty over as as a heel yeah uh, it's, it's kind of a shame that we haven't seen him that much on Thunder and I'm surprised because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have I know he's got the TV belt now but before that I wouldn't have considered him like one of the hugely pushed under or mid card acts I would have expected him to pop up a lot more on Thunder kind of as a just go out there and have your your five ten minute match sort of job but yeah we've, we've only seen him in fits and starts uh, no pun intended and uh, um, what, what, what did you think of the uh, reasoning for the name Fit 
that Tanae tried to explain. Oh, I must have missed this while I was taking notes. Please, please do explain to us. Uh, Tanae tried to explain that um, Finley is named as much because he's a multi-sport athlete. Mm. He played soccer, rugby. He's a skier. A skier? You know all those famous skiers from Northern Ireland? Yeah. Now, I would love to see uh, one Fit Finley uh, slaloming around on his skis. That would be. I, I honestly, I think he'd be Ned Flanders esque. Yeah, yeah. In his ski suit. Yeah, he, he'd actually just stupid do it. sexy Finley. Yeah, stupid sexy <laughs> Finley. He'd actually do it in his gear and everything, but like his old Road Warrior gear because he's safety conscious, of course. Um, there's a point. Sorry, don't don't make me laugh because I will come. <laughs> there's a point where uh, Benoit fires up again and he gets a massive pop for uh, hitting a German suplex. Um, then he tries to latch crossface in and Finley gets to the ropes. Uh, as Benoit gets up, Booker T, the geography teacher, is here in a, an <laughs> astounding getup. Um, Finley hits what I like. So Benoit calls to the outside to kind of go like, what the hell are you doing here, Booker? Cause they've still got their kind of back and forth going on. Uh, and Finley hits a sickening baseball slide drop kick to the back of his head, like proper jacks his head back. He hits him that hard. Uh, this was the second shoot drop kick I've seen in as many days. Yeah. yeah. Shoot drop <laughs> kicks are all the rage now, my friend. Um, and then, like he so he hits him with this and he's clearly like pretty much unconscious uh after this baseball slide drop kick and then finley rolls him back into the ring and i thought for a wily ring veteran like finley that's a little bit of oh that doesn't really make sense champion's advantage you should be quite happy to leave him out there um but then once he brings him back in he nearly pays for it ben nearly scores a pin with a roll up and then finley eventually just gets him with his his tombstone uh, and wins it's a gnarly tombstone as well a proper jumping tombstone yeah a proper not a lot of room between head and mat by the time they, they go down um, it looked sick um, what do you think of this one I thought I thought it was a, like a pretty you know it's not the, the best opener we've seen so far I think Booker still takes the cake on that um, a few months ago but uh, I thought this was a pretty good little opener I, I really enjoyed this I mean Benoit, as we've we've talked about, is is very over at this stage, and Finley, like I said, it was surprisingly over as a heel, and they just, like I say, they went out and they just worked stiff, and they didn't overstay their welcome. They didn't do anything like super crazy, or you know, they they just kind of played to their their position on the card and put on a good solid match yeah they weren't there to have the best match of the night they were just have there to no. have the best opener they could and not overdo it and I think they did that um, we move to the internet location as Jericho uh, is interviewed by Lee Marshall Jericho doesn't care who he faces in the Cruiserweight Battle Royal tonight he says it's all just a conspiracy from JJ Dillon but it doesn't matter because whoever it is he's going to beat anyway uh, then we get uh, a match for the ages Brian Adams with Vincent versus Lex Luger and this is the first but not the last walking brawl klaxon of the evening this was the show where I just completely broke on the walk and brawl uh, Lee you've been at a lot of the wrestling shows I've been at this year standing beside me while I've been at them and have heard me get increasingly tetchy about walking brawls uh, uh, yeah I hate them <laughs> um, uh, 
did this. I, I just I don't know why we have to talk about this. This yeah. is fucking awful. Yeah, it is. And this is. The I start mean, Bri- of- Brian Adams should not be in a singles match in 1998. And this is more the level of what a lot of the show is at. It's it's not a great pay per view. This one, um, with a few notable exceptions, um, but the walk and brawl thing. I'll explain my philosophy yet again. It kills a live crowd because they can't see what the fuck is going on, and at home, yes, you can see it but it's happening in front of a dead crowd, so it, it kills things. And you almost get too good a view if you're watching at home, and you can see that they're basically just walking around and throwing the occasional strike. Uh, I was talking about this on Twitter this evening, not this particular walking brawl, but one that happens later in the show. Uh, and uh, our friend Linus was talking to me about how uh, Raven was somebody in WCW who actually put a bit of thought into those. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's true because we enjoyed the one at at Spring Stampede where he um where they did the spots with the hay bales and the and the the fake stagecoach, and uh, he referenced in particular the the very enjoyable uh, Kane Big Show Raven three way at was it Mania wasn't it Mania seventeen WrestleMania X seven yeah yeah Mania seventeen with the golf cart and all that um mm-hmm. so yeah like Raven was a guy who actually put thought into these but for the most part in WCW in particular you'll notice that a lot of people who do the walking brawls are the people who either physically can't or just can't be arsed putting in a proper shift in the ring. I mean, I've just got to say it. Like, we go to OTT shows. The Kings of the North, every month, mm. are in a walking brawl. Yeah. I mean, they were up against Gorillas of Destiny on Saturday. Big pop for both entrances, I have to say. Yeah. I will put say that. Big pop for both teams. They start off hot. And all of what ninety seconds into the match, they're outside the ring, uh, the, and the, the, the crowd died a fucking death. My enmity towards uh, walking brawls is such that Lee, you can verify without me having to provoke you. The bell rang in that match, and what did I do? You went to go to the bathroom, go get a drink, and didn't come back until I'm pretty sure they had just returned to the ring. Yes. Um, I, I believe my exact words to, to Johnny on the way past him were only so many walking brawls in one lifetime uh, yeah. and yeah I went to the toilet I took my time I had a chat with people in the queue down there leisurely went to the bathroom went and got myself a drink got a pack of Rolos and ambled my way slowly back to the sle- seat to see you and the lads shaking your heads at how poor the walking brawl had been so no, uh, look we were on we were talking about something else yeah <laughs> We were, I don't think we even paid attention until they returned to the Well, she couldn't see anything. How could you pay attention to it? Like, um, no. The most but, interesting part of this match was uh, a sign in the crowd that I'm pretty sure said, Wolfpack beat them like baby seals. Which, rough. Well, that doesn't age well. No. Um, Lex uh, is just beating Bright Adams' pillar to post in this match until Lex goes for Vincent. Adams jumps him. Hits a pile driver, a really shite one. Uh, Lex fires up and he gets the torture rack on in the burning hammer position and Brian Adams taps. This was shite. And I mean, the commentators lost their mind because Lex Luger ducked the clothesline and then put the rack on. Yeah. That you'd like, you'd swear he had invented bread. Yeah. Sliced bread because. They just, they couldn't believe this. Lex Luger has evolved. Yeah, he's now ducking clotheslines. What could possibly stop him? Yeah, this was a shite match. Uh, I, I regret that we've spent this much time talking about it. Uh, we have a backstage promo as Sad Perry cuts a very monotone promo about how there will be no gauntlet tonight. 
uh, for the flock. Uh, Good. It will be him taking Goldberg's belt, and if anyone in the flock has a problem, he know uh, they know where he is. They share a locker room. Um, I I have to say I rather enjoyed that. I thought that was a really good problem. Yeah, I think it was a bit. The delivery was a little bit flat, and not maybe. I know he was supposed to be kind of like he's obsessed with Goldberg, and he's supposed to be you know very kind of measured about it and stuff. But I think it like it could have done with a little, like an ounce more passion about it. But yeah, I, the content I, I enjoyed for sure. I think this is the beginning of him being pissed at Raven. Mm. Yeah, and this is the beginning of the flock eventually being freed. Yeah, well, we saw this with, with Van Hammer. The cracks are starting to show in the flock. And um, it's funny because there are a, a fair few dweebs in, in the flock, but the emerging story of the flock and how it progresses and how Raven deals with it and, and just Raven in general has become more and more fascinating as time goes on. And I think he's absolutely one of those guys who I'm surprised how... like. I always knew what we've talked about the mind for the business he had and how respected he is for his wrestling brain and stuff like that. But I think I'm surprised just at the level to which I'm enjoying Raven more than I thought I would. Yeah. I mean, I know we, we've said openly that DDP has been like the biggest surprise. Yeah. Well, DDP and Booker, I think are the biggest surprises so far in that like they were ready for main event pushes in 1998. Yeah. But Raven, Raven's the one that drags you into things. Mm. Like I'm, I'm invested in where his story is going, and I didn't expect that because I know where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of it is one of those things. Like it is hard, uh, regardless of whether the conclusion is good or bad. It is hard to drag somebody in to a story twenty one years after the fact when that person knows how it's going to end and yet here we are and we're like yeah week to week I want to see what Raven's doing um, moving on from Perry Saturn to the greatest goddamn segment all time all my life to, to quote one Brian Alvarez the cruiserweight battle royal and I'm not talking about how much I enjoyed the battle royal because battle royals are kind of just the, the bar for them is quite low Chris Jericho I, I, I think this is going to be the peak of the days of thunder run chris jericho a prince a king of men (laughs) uh my original tweet when i tweeted out this video was like imagine not thinking chris jericho is one of the all-time greats and how he is doing this stuff in like this is definitely the peak of his comedy so far as you say it's the peak of our our, of thunder road so far in terms of comedy Mm. um how it took another year before the, the before WWF signed him away and how it took many years after that before he was treated as a credible world champion like it's literally it's literally 10 years after this that he has his first proper world title run you know that, that, that's when he has the like monotone serious yeah. suit wearing the, Jericho isn't the, it the Anton Sugar yeah when he's doing the yeah, feud with yeah. Shawn Michaels and wearing the suits and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and that's a million miles from this character but this guy I'm not saying he was ready for the, you know put the WCW title on him right now but this guy was ready for a position way higher up the card than he was being given this is a guy who was like no matter what he was given he was turned into gold and this is uh, just an incredible performance as he comes out and interrupts Dave Penzer and in the process of which he calls him an unintelligible moronic high voiced dweeb and says that he's going to introduce everybody and the winner gets a shot at him but he stresses that he will win 
So, <laughs> I have written down some of the things. Now, not all of the things, but I've written some of the things he has said about everybody that comes out into this battle royal. A disclaimer, I will not do this justice. Um, oh, you, ha- you have to go watch this. Did This segment, like... It- I don't think we say this often, but you have to go watch it. Yeah, you have to. Two thirds of this is on our Twitter account at WCW Thunderpod, but like, go find the whole thing because, um, I mean, like the intro, then the battle royal, and then what happens afterwards. Because it actually, as a whole segment, is probably one of the coolest things, um, that's happened so far in Thunder. But let's get into it. So he he starts introducing these guys. First out is Super Kalo, to which Jericho says, notice how his hat never comes off. Uh, and something he also does um, when he's introducing these guys is occasionally he'll he'll rate them 1 to 10 on their chances of winning. And he gave him uh, about 1 out of 10 chance, maybe. Then he introduces Chavo from El Paso, Mexico. Says he used to be a great barman and it hasn't translated into his wrestling skills. Uh, and that he's the scourge of the Guerrero family. That That's the one that got me. I love that. Um, Seco- he also gives him a, he also gives uh, Chavo a two out of ten chance of winning. <laughs> do you have all the the out of ten chances down? Do you? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. I just have a, that was one I definitely took down. Though it's just the thing about this was, and it took me so long to do this. Like the the lines were coming out so fast that I've I haven't got nearly everything he said, but I've got. And like, plus, the, the the network is shit, yeah. so it's impossible to go back and catch it all. I've tried to get like a little bit on everybody. Uh, Cyclope, he says, a real rags to riches story from selling chimichangas on the street to WCW. Here he is. Uh, Damien666 says, this is Damien. He can't afford a mask. He uses paint instead. And then sooner or later, he's going to buy a mask. I can guarantee you that. Uh, El Dandy, uh, the winner of the Lou Ferrigno lookalike contest. Huge pop. That's a great one. Huge pop. Um, El Grillo, uh, the world welter featherweight pace of champion, or sorry, welter light featherweight pace of champion. Uh, I, I've never heard of El Grio. Uh, do you know who El Grio was? No. Cyclope. Ah. Somebody tweeted okay. us this um, when we put up that video I, that I had. They said they had forgotten that they dressed Cyclope up as El Grio. More on that. Just. Just so they could get his costume, basically. Yeah. More on that in a few minutes. That's at least what somebody on Twitter has said. Don't fucking quote okay. me on that for sure. If you have a correction, not, please, at WCV Thunderbot, let us know. You've said it now, so... Yeah, it's canon. <laughs> Continuity Malone gives it the stamp of approval. Uh, Hoovy then is out, uh, referred to as the ugliest man in our sport. Which is a great line. Uh, what, what's it uh, Quasi-juice. Quasi-juice, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marty Janetti is out puts over Marty Janetti huge <laughs> rock rock till he stops rock rock uh, rock rock till he drops rock rock never stop <laughs> Marty Janetti ladies and gentlemen yeah. uh, <laughs> Kidman Kidman a lost and lonely soul his name is Kidman and Kidman I got a bottle of calamine lotion for you after the show uh, Evan Courageous this guy is the true shooter of WCW does he have a chance 0 out of 10 <laughs> and then Lenny Lane he starts immediately going into uh, an accent from Minnesota oh yeah and then asks him if he has his lover boy tape <laughs> he just shouts I want my lover boy tape back Lenny Lane <laughs> it was interesting to see like some of these guys obviously a load of them are under masks so they're safe but to see the amount of them trying not to crack or ignore what he's saying so that they don't crack is great um Psychosis. He's got a lot of hubcaps in his collection. If you need one, he'll procure you one after the show. 
that, that was my favourite I, I popped so much for that one this was my favourite one Silver King this is Silver King if he wins 12 more matches he'll be upgraded to Golden King uh, Johnny Swinger this guy is Johnny Singer or is it Johnny Singer Johnny Swinger have you heard of him I haven't uh, I, I could swear he turned to somebody in the front row in front of the stage and asked him have you heard of him I'm sure he did I'm sure he did uh, then Viano 4 representing Viano's 1 to 62 from the illustrious Viano family it's Viano and then he takes a knee and does the 4 with his hand <laughs> and then Jericho having accomplished this monumental feat of comedy announces that he's going backstage for a coffee um, Who, I, I didn't realise that the coffee thing started so far back yeah yeah there you go there's some continuity for you that's, that's Jericho for you always thinking that man uh, the battle royal begins and honestly I was too sore from laughing to keep up and actually talk about most of this the, the wrestling in it um, okay I, I have the uh, order of elimination if that helps cool well I'll shoot to you for that in a second there's a couple of things I want to mention here and that's Brain immediately who I'm sure was in tears laughing on commentary at these introductions puts over Jericho's job huge uh, at the start Tony says are you kidding me and Brain was back no Kidman's in the ring <laughs> <laughs> and I think Tony threatens to let uh, Jericho take uh, Heenan's spot on the team yeah. and then Heenan gets all incredulous and goes I never like that Jericho guy yeah. Tanay <laughs> uh, who is like chuckling as he's saying it still laughing from the introduction saying boy he sure knew a lot about the Mexican wrestlers <laughs> um, uh. it's kind of just by and large a battle royal uh, but it does cut at one point to a great shot of Jericho backstage comically overacting himself watching the match that was his audition for uh, WWF. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's very few actual notable spots in this for me. Psychosis does a hysterically funny bump where he misses a running knee into the corner so hard and flips over the top rope. Yeah, that that's like one of the last eliminations. Yeah, to run yeah. me down who the, the eliminations here. Okay, so eliminations were legal by pinfall or just having your feet touch the floor you didn't have to go over the top rope you could have just went through the ropes or basically if your feet touched the floor you were out yeah and they, they never specified both feet but I'm, I'm guessing that's what it would have been so there was no pinfalls because of course there wasn't <clears throat> uh, Evercray just was eliminated first then Johnny Swinger is eliminated by Chavo um, at this point Tony and Tanay both pick Psychosis to as their favourites to win and Heenan picks Chavo for some reason <laughs> um, Marty Gennetti is then eliminated by El Dandy and that's not a sentence I ever thought I'd say uh, Viano is the next one gone Lenny Lane is gone because he is showboating um, Damien666 I was trying to go to do the uh, Spanish sixes. I can't say it I'm too sick Um Damien is eliminated because he's attempting to do like the rope walk, the Undertaker rope walk, and gets crotched. And then another shoots drop kick to the back of the head, this time from uh, I think it's Hoovy. Uh, Al Dandy is the next one eliminated, this time by Chavo. Um, then Chavo eliminates himself somehow. Um, Psychosis then eliminates himself with that comical bump that you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Kidman is then eliminated. We're down to three. Kidman's eliminated by Hoovy, and we're left with Hoovy and Cyclo play. And I will let you take over from here. 
Okay, so with all that out of the way, like I said, it was kind of uh, a bog-standard battle royale for the most part. Uh, and then, as you say, we get down to the end. Uh, it's down to Juve and Ciclope. They, they appear to have uh, a conference <laughs> in the ring here where they're chatting away to each other. Uh, and Juve just eliminates himself, uh, at which point Ciclope, with great effort to remove his mask reveals himself as Dean Malenko and Chris Jericho is somehow already in the ring yeah like he just he obviously I would say this is kind of a thing for the live crowd if I were to guess he was gonna jump him. he was gonna jump whoever it was and he's just so he, he basically sells Frozen. the reveal yeah. yeah Um, fabulous and for about three minutes here Lee feel it drink it in for about three minutes Dean Malenko was the most popular professional wrestler on the earth. Yeah, he never topped this moment. This is the peak of Dean Malenko as a popular babyface for me. It was so... The reaction when he pulled off the mask and turned around to face Jericho. Like, people lost their minds. Oh, they were going bananas. Um, We go straight into the Cruiserweight title. uh, Yeah, I want it. Excuse me. Um, do you think the match went too long? Yes. Because I do. Yes. I think he just should have laid him out and beat him 30 seconds before the crowd I, I had mean, a chance to kind of even out. Yeah, I, I think literally a two-minute beat down, Texas Cloverleaf, it's over. Yeah, well, That's what I would have done. It must have gone on for like, oh, I don't know, five minutes. Yeah. It, it, it definitely felt longer than it than it needed to be. Yeah, like uh, Jericho minutes. didn't have to get any. Jericho did not have to get any offense in this. No, and sh- shouldn't have. But like, you know, it's it's a. I suppose it's a bone to pick when the reveal was so good and the finish went like. If they had the reveal and Jericho had just beat him, which knowing WCW, I wouldn't have been surprised if that had happened either. <laughs> I suppose they ticked most of the boxes for this little angle here. Um the crowd going absolutely apeshit from the bell. Jericho begging off as Malenko is beating on him. Because um, the thing that like we had been talking about was that Jericho, you know, as well as being a coward and as well as thinking he's brilliant and stuff like this, like, you know, they've put over before how, like, well prepared he is for matches and stuff like that. So it kind of plays a little into his character that the last person in the world he was expecting to wrestle was Dean Malenko. So he's just not ready for it. And he knows he's at a disadvantage because of it. Like, th- th- this was the first time that Chris Jericho was outsmarted. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's the thing. Like, he's a heel who is, you know, not a stupid heel. And he doesn't make the... Like, he's a goof, but he's not dumb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a he's a mastermind behind it all. Um, Jericho gains an advantage by hanging him. There was a brutal spot where he hangs him up on the ropes at speed, does the kind of flapjack onto the ropes. Yeah, like, Jesus, it's so it's fast. Um, that, that's a, that's a slingshot. Like that's how you throw someone into the ropes. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, again, like we said, didn't need to go on this long. Jericho didn't need to get the heat. Moves into the closing stretch. Uh, Malenko nearly broke both his fucking legs on a top rope gut buster. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Jesus. I was really I mean, like, even though again, I was completely suspension of disbelief. All that I was in 1998 watching this match. <laughs> like that's how. And like I was like, oh god, I hope his legs are all right, even though I knew they were. Uh, if I thought about it for a second, uh, yeah, that that that's a move Malenko did. I think quite a bit, yeah, to set up for the cloverleaf. But uh, yeah, I see we've I mean, seen it, him do it, it on the show as well. But it's never looked like this. Looked like his legs 
went buckled yeah like maybe it was wearing the, the costume maybe it felt different or mm. I don't know but like it's one of them moves it does look vicious but I imagine it's one of them things that it hurts my leg a lot more than it hurts the other guy yeah yeah uh, locks in the clover leaf and Chris Jericho taps out uh, brain with the call of the night saying the world's toughest pumpkin just did it um, <laughs> and Malenko is the new cruiserweight and linear martial arts champion oh my god I actually forgot about that uh, and this was the start of the match and the end of this match the biggest reactions he would ever get in his career yeah sad to oh, say because sure, a fantastically talented wrestler and do you know what I actually I off the top of my head without looking things up I actually don't know where the Cruiserweight title goes from here so I'm, I'm actually quite excited to see where things progress from here yeah, I have a vague idea but I don't want to look it up and see if I'm right or wrong because um, I know a couple of months from now is when I start watching WCW and I know where I know roughly where the belt is around then but anyway. I, look I, I know what ends up on Oklahoma yeah. whew less said about that the better before we, we actually have to talk about it that's the coming a couple of years yeah, though. yeah. Um, while the death match is being set up because that's our next match they go to and I quote the Vinnie Mac cam to investigate a white limo and well this was sad it was really sad but already Bobby Heenan has had enough of this and as Doug Dillinger is walking around the car inspecting it Bray is going yeah Doug that's a car that's the back of the car like I'm pretty sure you just said would you not just look inside it yeah and then uh, a line and from d- Tony, which is interesting considering his past relationship and his current working relationship with the man, said, well, you know, if Jim Ross jumps out carrying his bags, that must be him. Yep. Interesting. T- Tony not bitter at all about having a report to JR for those couple of years. No, no. And it's funny now, the two of them sharing a commentary desk at AEW. Um, water under the bridge, I guess. Um, next we have as I mentioned Raven versus DDP in the Bowery death match which is just a cage with a lid with weapons in it um, it's like a hell in a cell placer yeah because the cage looks really small yeah and it just looks a bit eh. you see I always now maybe this is coloured as the way I was looking at it as a kid but I liked, in a certain way, I always preferred Hell in a Cell as a kid because Hell in a Cell was fucking scary as fuck and they protected that that stip mm-hmm. for so many years. But something about how tight the cage is in WCW with the lid on it, that it felt claustrophobic and like it was forcing guys together to have that blood feud match. I think in the right match, I liked that small cage. Um, but you're right in that sometimes when that suspension of disbelief as we talk about when that breaks you're going well this is just a really small cage you know DDP and, and can I, touch it without leaving the ground the, yeah, the ceiling like, like like that's the thing you, you compare the height of the cage to like the top torn buckle yeah and it's really not that much higher no um, and I don't know whether it's because the WCW ring was on, was a bit smaller than the WWF rings, yeah, typically. Yeah, it was uh, 16 by 16 as opposed to 20 by 20, I think. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's the reason, and it just looks smaller and a bit more hokey. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just expected it to be a bit more intimidating. Mm. 
especially with the weapons I guess um, mm-hmm. to start off this segment anyway the one man that's having the time of his life here I think this is the point at which he had crossed the threshold of too many sherries Bobby Heenan is having a great time at start of this match uh, going off on stuff saying like he found a credit card in a garbage can in 1972 and then when Raven SWAT guys come out he starts singing bad boys bad boys <laughs> Um, one thing I liked yeah. about this uh, the start of this match Lee and this goes to the, the the two men that are involved all credit to them because they are as we said men that think an awful lot about their matches um, this match starts intensely it starts brutally uh, the two of them are enraged and slamming each other into the trash cans into the walls of the cage just this isn't like the kind of the thing that happens a lot in modern wrestling where oh, I hate you so much that I'm just going to do a lockup. Yeah, I'm going to start with an armbar. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I I did enjoy that they just went for it. They they used the environment against each yeah. other. Um there was plenty of throwing each other into the wall as you say like yeah. the, the to the trash point where one of the fairly quick. the bottom of one of the walls of the cage broke. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, but I, I think I think it does as well, Lee, as well as show how intense the rivalry between these two men is. I really liked how it very quickly reminded you within 30 seconds of the match that all this dangerous stuff was around. It was like they were giving you a tour of here's all the stuff that's here. I really like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, the commentators are keen to point out that the mention of Raven's family by DDP in the build up to this brought out kind of like a rage they've never seen in Raven before so that's cool that's building on that Raven's family thing that we, there'll be more of um, yeah, um, I think it's at that point there's like um, Raven climbs the corner and is emptying out the trash can and I love that the camera like it does move away it's literally the camera is right in his face yeah and I mean we'll be the first ones to point out when the camera work is shitty but I thought that was just a great shot like you're looking mm. through the cage into his eyes yeah there's a couple of great uses of the camera on this show that I know it, and that was definitely one of them he's pulling stuff out of those trash cans one of which contains DDP's bull rope that somehow got snuck in there and a VCR which huge pop from me um Superhuman was obviously in charge of the yeah. uh, indeed <laughs> Raven WCW style um Paige gets the bull rope around Raven's neck and begins throwing him around by it and this looked gruesome mm. um you know again it's it's like maybe a little bit too much for some people and I completely agree with that uh completely like uh sympathize with that but it did like it, it it really drove home just how much these guys hate each other he was literally going to like strangle him and use the rope to throw him into things um really really intense shit uh, that's when I noticed one of the cage walls that was kind of like uh, the opposite side to where the ramp was seemed to be broken at the bottom the cable ties had snapped on it mm-hmm. um, DDP loops the, this was like shades of uh, the boss man the following year at Wrestlemania where uh, Paige tries to loop the rope through the roof and hang Raven by it uh, and then kind of just gives up and beans him with the VCR <laughs> Um, yeah see the problem there was he didn't have the brood to help him yeah and uh, you know that's a problem we, we all have from time to time god Jesus I wish the brood were here um, <laughs> he the, at this point as well yeah when he hits him with the VCR I hear loud ECW chants uh, and we are in Massachusetts so we are on that side of the country um, this feels uh, this match as, as kind of violent as it was in terms of the weapons and the imagery of the bull rope and stuff like that 
I don't know if you agree with with me on this, and this is maybe my my old school sensibilities relative to a lot of people nowadays. I think this match would have benefited from somebody doing a like a Ric Flair level blade job in this. Yeah, um, I think at the time WCW were very much anti blood, mm-hmm. but the, I think all cage matches should have blood. Yeah, the whole point of a cage match is that it's a. You know, it's a feud ender, or it's like another step in this kind of horrible battle between two people that hate each other. Yeah, you know, it, it should have blood. It just should. Yeah, this match is so intense and tells such a such a story that it really deserved to be one of the main events, not like plonked towards the end of the the first the half, first half of, the show. of the show. Yeah. Um, one thing that like a man with rapidly rapidly evaporating credibility uh, Tony Schiavone tries to sell the danger of the cookie sheets yeah don't do that <laughs> like maybe again it's grown up on WWF but I never remember JR or the King putting over how much a cookie sheet shot hurt yeah I, as far as I remember they used to just say well that sounds good yeah yeah uh, Jim Ross when he was on would always find a way to maintain credibility while not burying bad stuff the bowling shoe ugly metaphor and, and what not um, not in 2019 mind you but no, still no. Uh, not when the ad breaks are all that's for sure uh, Raven attempts mm-hmm. his drop, hold, t- drop toe hold of doom uh, Paige gets out of it uh, but gets caught in a sleeper the ref is bumped back into the trash can and KO'd uh, Paige then hits the drop toe hold on Raven to very little reaction um, the flock come out and rush the ring, but Van Hammer appears from under the ring with the stop sign of doom uh, and lays them out, cuffs Reese to the rail, and then the riot squad hit the ring. This is all happening thick and fast now over the course of maybe a minute or two. The riot squad hit the ring, attack, attack DDP, and the two riot squad men are unveiled as Kidman and Horace Boulder. DDP fights back and hits the diamond cutter on Horace, and then in a really cool spot, Kidman uh, tried to grab the underside there's these kind of buttresses going across on the underside of the the roof of the cage and he grabs onto them and attempts to do like a, a swinging front kick to to page page grabs him by the leg swings him back and he kind of comes loose and gets caught with a mid-air diamond cutter love that yeah that was great that was like that's something you could imagine randy orton doing yeah it was it was really really cool um mm. Then, uh, what do we have then? So Raven hits Paige with a fire extinguisher that it looked like he was trying to actually spray him with a fire extinguisher and it wouldn't go off. So he just hits him, yeah. He just hits him and then hits an even flow. Uh, Paige uh, is down for an eight count. I think that's the first time properly in the match that it was kind of acknowledged that um, the the key way to win this match was for someone to not answer a ten count. Yeah, they, I think they said at the start that was a ten count, not pinfall. So, yeah very weird yeah uh, he fights back to his feet Raven hits him with a diamond cutter which huge pop again Raven I, I love a man using another man's finisher on him desperation yeah yeah uh, Paige just about gets up Raven swings a chair misses right into eating a diamond cutter uh, and DDP just beats the count uh, to win before we get into the post match here what did you think of the actual bell to bell I liked it. I mean, it, it felt vicious. It like it felt like these two wanted to hurt each other, you know. Mm. Um, and that's what a cage match should be. I, I mean, the flock stuff I could do without, but it's all part of the kind of bigger Raven story. Yeah, it's kind of stuff they they have to they have to get mm-hmm. in. 
Uh, another member of the squad is on the outside in the post-match and he starts cuffing the rest of the flock uh, to the cage and then he gets in the ring, handcuffs Horace and Kidman, then throws Raven into the cage and cuffs him. Then he unmasks. It's Mortis who then unmasks again uh, as the man that we would then come to know as Chris Canyon. And then, in the most brutal moment on this whole show, fucking murders Raven with a chair. Yeah, the this very much felt like they were trying to recreate that uh, ECW moment, you know, where um, Dreamer has Raven cuffed in the cage. Yeah. And he hits him with the chair. And that moment, that, like, chair shot was on the opening credits of ECW for, what, five years? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, as Lee said, his both Raven's hands were cuffed. So there was no... No protection. Uh, no protection whatsoever. It was a, a canyon let me tell you, swung that chair. <laughs> yeah, there was no holding back on that one. He was going for a home run at Wrigley Field, that guy. Like, it was proper swinging for the fences shit. Uh, they also, in the process of this, identify Canyon as that vendor who had, we talked about last week, had attacked Raven, uh, leading to the whole personal security storyline. Um, we're back now with the Vinnie Mac cam. Uh, as security have grainy black and white photos printed off somebody's like Windows 95 computer uh, where they downloaded really compressed JPEGs from America Online of Vince, X-Pac, Austin, the old DX uh, and the Outlaws. Uh, then CCTV, CCTV footage of precisely nothing. These are just getting like it's diminishing returns on these, isn't it? Uh, this is awful. Like it... Like, I knew it was going to be bad coming into the pay-per-view, but, like, you know, the random security guy stopping some one person to have a look at them and go, yeah, you're not him. Yeah. Like, the guy he stopped didn't look an- look anything like anyone on the fucking sheet. Yeah. I mean, if they had a paid a look-alike to show up, I, like, I, if you're going to do it, just go full TNA. Yeah. I would love if th- I would love to see like a um a live report from this show to see if they did the gimmick and had people actually doing spot checks like committing to it. Um it would be interesting to see if they commit to the bit. Um well, I mean, we all know WCW security was notoriously lax. You just have to look at the amount of time people attempted to get into the ring. Yeah, indeed. Um the internet location with Saturn this time. Uh, he feels that Goldberg just squeaked past him last time and then they have an entirely too long shot of all the dorks in the crowd. Could have done without that. Uh, our next match is Ultimo Dragon versus Eddie Guerrero for Chavo's freedom and I immediately sat up when these two men came out. I was very happy to see these guys at this point. Um, chain wrestling early on. Like we talked about Eddie, we did our pick your poison on Eddie a few weeks ago. You can check that out in the podcast feed. So we've talked all about him we've praised him but Ultimo Dragon smooth as butter Lee uh, I didn't like this match did you not <laughs> no I, I mean maybe, maybe it was the mood I was in watching this but yeah. I I couldn't get into this at all um, I thought there was one or two little good moments but yeah. I overall thought it was a pretty sloppy match I don't know okay yeah no I, I really enjoyed it Um, just like watching two pros kind of just go at it and it had that kind of like as well as doing some of the the, the kind of technical stuff they they had like a bit of kind of Eddie's edge brought into it and 
Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. Like, it wasn't like, I'm, I'm not saying this would have been a match of the year contender in 1998 or anything like that. But look, I'll, I'll run it down here anyway. Um, one of the things uh, early on in this match that I really liked, Eddie gets into the corner, he's beaten on Dragon. And uh, another excellent use of WCW's corner cam that we've already talked about, mm-hmm. where it's right up seeing Eddie lay these punches into Dragon. So you're seeing not only Eddie's face and the intensity in his face as he's beaten on him, but also just the, the, the brutal stiffness with which he's laying these, these blows, these forearms into uh, Dragon in the corner. Um, at one point... Uh, when the crowd is kind of like uh, the crowd were into this and then got distracted because what appears to be happening on the hard camera is a very large man is taking his clothes off in the crowd. Did you see this? Yes, a large man appeared in the crowd and he was semi-naked. Yeah. And people, well, he was wearing a t-shirt and then the next time I cut back to him, he was shirtless. And then the next time I cut back to him, he's putting on a different shirt. Um, And the crowd were popping for this. They were loving it. Um. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's another thing that kind of dragged me out of match, that the fact that the crowd weren't all that invested either. Yeah, and that's something we've, we've said we've had a problem with before. Sometimes something happens in the crowd and the and the, 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 the crowd are gone then for, for fast fades of a match. Um, the story of the match was really, really enjoyable to me because it was Eddie getting angrier and angrier and it plays into Eddie's character that uh, he can't stand being out-wrestled. And that's something that, like throughout his career that happens in matches where he goes against guys who are just like out flipping him or out grappling him and it brings out the vicious side in him because he gets fed up like almost like he's been made a fool of or something like that um so he yeah kind of ultimo dragon is coming off as kind of equal or superior to him in pretty much every grappling exchange they have um so eddie gets fed up at one point and hits just a brutal clothesline off the ropes on him um, he throws Dragon outside and whips him into the rail chokes him with the runner cable for the camera um, Chavo attempts to stand up to Eddie and Eddie could not give a shit about Chavo like it was like the shit on the end of his shoe sort of job just completely no-sold him and got back into the ring uh, Dragon hangs Eddie up on the ropes roundhouse kick to the outside and follows him out with just a picture perfect acai moonsault mm-hmm. uh, Dragon gives him I think one of the most impressive moves of the night, uh, what appears to be like a tilt-a-whirl torture rack. Oh yes, that that was actually very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, like especially because Eddie's not light, you know. No, he he would he is big by cruiserweight standards, you know. Yeah. Um. So he did tilt-a-whirl torture rack. Eddie hits just a beautiful tornado DDT to annoy Chavo because that's Chavo's finish at this point uh, then he misses the frog splash and nearly gets pinned because he, he kind of he spent too long trying to drive that point home to Chavo uh, Dragon kind of awkwardly a little bit awkwardly moonsaults into the Dragon Sleeper and in my favourite spot of the whole match Eddie uses his own athleticism and a rope assist with one arm to backflip out of the Dragon Sleeper yeah. into a Dragon Sleeper of his own Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, just, that, that that's Eddie. That's perfect, Eddie. Like that. Yeah. That that was just flawless. So good. Uh, Dragon accidentally kicks Chavo. Eddie hits a brainbuster frog splash and wins. Uh, Chavo gets in. He's absolutely livid, and he beats down Dragon. Uh, he and Eddie get into it then, and Eddie uh, gets on his knees and dares Chavo to hit him, but he can't. So this isn't uh, Chavo turning heel and kind of going, "Oh yeah, I'm with Eddie." It's Chavo taking out his frustration that Dragon didn't win on Dragon. Yeah, which was weird, but I mean, obviously, they're building to the big moment for Chavo where he finally does 
um, attack Eddie or beat up Eddie at least yeah uh, next we have the biggest star reaction of the night as Bill Goldberg defends the US title against Perry Saturn what an ovation for Billy Big Time oh this was this is a star like I mean I watched this and I was almost amazed at just like the reaction because we don't see reactions like this anymore we just don't. Like, you don't see Amer- uh, American audiences react like this. No, certainly not on a consistent basis, that's for sure. Like, you get the one-off hometown hero thing like that. Um, But yeah, in terms of consistent reactions, no one gets them now like Goldberg did every week like, then. The amount of signs in the audience alone was, like, I was amazed. Like, yeah. really amazed at just how over, like... It's not an exaggeration to say it was himself and Austin as one A and one B. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I don't. I don't think there's any disagreement at this point in 1998. Anyway, um, Saturn starts the match by attempting to grapple with Goldberg and wear him down. Kind of the same strategy he had used in their last match. Um, Goldberg shakes it off handily as he always does. He gets pissed with Saturn, hammers him at a clothesline, then gr- the Gorilla Press Power Slam, and an OG Gorilla Press for just good measure before another clothesline, and the crowd roaring for Goldberg. The, the Gorilla Press Power Slam was like I was up on my chair watching it. Like yeah. just, uh, I mean, I, I've I've said it many times watching Goldberg. Just the man's a fucking machine. Yeah brilliant i got it i just i love that the aura so much that that man had like mm-hmm. you know he wasn't again he's not he's not the, the level of wrestler and eddie guerrero was or, or anything like that by any stretch but in terms of just being an absolute superstar and a magnetic personality there was very few like him and there yeah there will not be a, another of his like again i would say like the matches the matches are nothing special yeah but it's watching the reaction it's buying into what the man is doing mm. uh, and you can't you can't help but get drawn in yeah at one point Tony says a really funny line really funny phrasing anyway because we are so in awe of his moves um, Saturn hits him with a leg sweep and paintbrushes him which makes Goldberg even more mad who just hurls him into a corner then uh, Saturn is getting plenty of brief moments to shine here keeps trying to stay on Goldberg and put him down and Goldberg just keeps shrugging everything off and hitting him again uh, today says we're not sure about Goldberg in terms of a lengthier match and I said to myself yeah me neither um, the chair comes into play and Saturn hits his step up drop kick attempts another and gets pretty much shoot speared out of midair uh, spear my god like you know you see a spear these days and they kind of it's a shoulder to the go yeah this like Goldberg catches Saturn I was in pain drives him back like he literally drives him back about four steps yeah reverses his momentum and just impales him um Jackhammer 88 and 0 um yeah not really much to say about this one uh we we get a a, an ad then for the Great American Bash next month which was weird as hell was the flock advertising it which when I think Great American Bash not automatically the flock but okay when you think of great Americans, you not think of you know George Washington, Reese. Abraham Lincoln, Reese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, that is my personal Mount Rushmore. That's for sure. Um, Michael Shitty Buffer is here, and this is this is great because um, this is clearly they they're starting to acknowledge how much money they're paying 
Michael Buffer. And they're like, oh, if he's going to be here, we're getting our fucking money's worth because he's out for the rest of the show now. Um, and he's here to introduce Eric Bischoff, uh, who definitely looks like he showered and definitely doesn't look like he's gotten to it all. Okay. Um, do you watch It's Only Sunny in Philadelphia? Or It's Always Sunny. Sorry. Yes. It's always. So, Eric Bischoff looks like early seasons Mac. Yeah. Definitely. With the cut off t shirts the jet black hair, the lack of personal hygiene. Yeah. Um, always gotten to by somebody that's better than them. Yeah, that's that's absolutely bang on. Uh, Bischoff claims he's stunned that Vince McMahon didn't show. And Mickey J says they're going to have to count him out, which he does. Bischoff is the winner by forfeit and disqualification, according to Buffer. So fuck off, mate. <laughs> forfeit and disqualification. Yeah. What the should have thrown in should have thrown in and count out just yeah. for the fucking yeah, shit sake. Absolute spoofer. Um Buffer is out again. Fuck off. It's time for Brett versus Savage. Uh <laughs> he introduces Brett as the Hitman Brett. No surname. Okay, so this match this this I'm not doing a bit here by the way. Yeah. You know how how down I've been on Brett for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I fell asleep watching this. This match was bullshit. I hated it. <laughs> I fell asleep. So I had to rewatch this match, what, two and a half hours ago? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was watching it with Connor, and he kind of noticed his buffer, and he's doing the intro for Brett, and he, he just turns to me and goes, was he not called Hart anymore? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, no, Michael Buffer is just shit at his job. Yeah, he interested. He goes like, the hitman, Brett! And you're expecting Hart, and Hart never comes. It's like a shit PS1 game. Yeah. Um, Piper is out second as the ref. Because he'd have to be. Yeah. Because it's Couldn't just, possibly be first. Yeah, he was ready to go, so they had to send him out. And not even not even attempting to dress, dress as a referee. <laughs> Doesn't give I'd, a fuck. I have to say, I did like his t-shirt, though. Oh, yeah, no, it was cool. But just, like, I appreciate the level of Roddy Piper of, like, oh, fuck, no, I'm not fucking weird strike. Will you fuck off? Um, um, yeah, his, his t-shirt was, like, a Tasmanian devil dressed mm-hmm. as Roddy Piper. Yeah. Which is very, very 90s concept. Oh, yeah, but I'd still wear it. Um, Buffer, when he's introducing Randy Savage, is talking about him, you know, he's known for the madness and stuff like that. And he he's so bad at his job, Michael Buffer, that he's making Randy Savage, the out-of-control maniac, sound boring. Um, <laughs> what a, He's stolen a living for fucking 20, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, Brett is outside the ring pacing as Savage and Piper both invite him in and he's kind of being chicken and won't come in. Like, Lee... Um, Go on, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I know we talked about it on the last show, but fuck me, Randy Savage is jacked. Jacked and looks great with the gear, as, you, as oh. we also said. Like, there's a, oh, the, again, the there's a man the who show. put a lot into the presentation. Like, everything is red and black. Yeah. Like, his weight belt has tassels. His yeah. boots have tassels. Like, everything. He just... The man screams wrestler. Yeah. He, um... Look, we're going to bury this match deep beneath the earth and I want everyone at home to know this has little to nothing to do with Randy Savage. Um, Imagine, Lee, paying this much money for the man who was WWF champion less than one year ago and already he feels more dated 
than 80s icon Randy Savage. Yeah, I mean, I believe it was 3.1 million per year for three years. So, and he just doesn't he feel like just if you were to say one of these guys is a wrestler from over a decade ago, you'd probably say it was Bret Hart. Yep. Because Randy still seemed like a kind of superstar, still felt like he had energy, still felt he had edge to him. And he just felt relevant. Yeah. Bret, just nothing he does feels important in WCW. Yeah. And, like, and I don't, like, I honestly don't know what what can change that because they've tried to put him as a face mm. they've now turned him heel yeah. and nothing he does is interesting like he's in there with Macho Man Randy Savage the guy was world champion yeah. what a month ago yeah he's been in an interesting feud with Hogan with Sting yeah and then Hart comes along and it's just it's shit and, it's really really shit yeah and we talk about Brett's lack of care which is evident um but we don't talk enough about how I think in a way so 97 really squeezed like the last bit of juice out of him in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, but in terms of him being an interesting character as well as the shit that happened at the end of his WWF run and I think by the time he makes the transition to WCW and the type of product that WCW was in 1998 I think visually and philosophically Wrestling has kind of passed Brett by by this point. Yeah, like it's almost like Brett kind of should have reinvented himself going to WCW. Yeah, like he he could have got a haircut, he could have changed his gear up. Instead, he he went in as Bret Hart from nineteen ninety two. Yeah, yeah, it was new generation Bret Hart. It wasn't even kind of the the heel Hart Foundation with an edge no. Bret Hart from earlier the previous year. It was like that the whole thing of Starcade, oh I'm not gonna let this happen. Like nobody gave a fuck. Yeah. That was a month after Montreal. Nobody cared. Mm. Uh he's he's trying to act like you know, on the, the aggression and like he's trying to be viciously attacking uh Savage, but it, it's it's not coming off the right way. The heat the crowd are giving him isn't the sort of you stop attacking the guy we like it's like oh would you ever fuck off we hate you sort of heat um brain argues that that brett's not a bad guy this is just how you fight a man like savage because he's taken to the outside and he tries to crush his skull with some steps um yeah that like at that point they go into the crowd yeah and they literally walk into the crowd walk so far then turn back and come back the way they went and I think there was about three punches thrown. That was it. That like they literally walked into the crowd, walked so far, walked all the way back, and got back in the ring. And like nothing happened for a good what two minutes, two and a half minutes. Yeah. It was fucking awful. Like this match was awful, and I can't imagine saying that about a Bret Hart and Randy Savage match. Like they only had. I actually have it in front of me. They only had four matches, singles matches, in their lives together. Yeah. This was one of them. Uh, they had a match on Saturday's night's main event, which somebody pointed out was actually two weeks ago after we talked about it. Um, they had a match on Saturday night's main event in 1987. They had a match on a house show in 1990. They had a match in Tokyo, or in Yokohama, sorry. In Japan in 1994 when Bret Hart was WWF champion. 
Like, this was their first televised match in over a decade. Yeah. And this is what they fucking put out. Sorry, this is what Bret Hart put out. Yeah. Because this is all on Bret Hart. Mm. Randy Savage did nothing wrong in this match. Yeah. The the crowd are kind of getting a bit heated by the time they're back in the ring um, to kind of, like, get Randy going to just put Bret away and be done with this. Uh, Tony notes that Scott Hall has arrived in the building. Good work, Scott. Made it with one match to spare. Uh, Brain has a line in here about a hero is nothing but a type of sandwich. Um, Brett has been beaten on Savage for at this point for what could be described as a boring amount of time. Uh, Brett finally gets him in the sharpshooter, and like so, this gets really convoluted really quickly. So try and follow me here. Uh, Brett finally gets him in the sharpshooter. Liz runs out, sharpshooter reverse, but Brett gets the ropes. Liz starts shoving Piper, then Piper is shoving Savage. Brett low blows Savage while Piper is distracted, then floors Piper. Savage wrestles an object off him, threatens him for ages because Hogan missed his cue. (laughs) And then Hogan finally is out, knocks Savage down. Brett locks in the sharpshooter. Piper is up and wrestles the object out of Savage's hand. Savage maybe gives up, but Piper rings the bell anyway. Is it a DQ? Is it a tap out? It's It's not very clear at all in the moment. An absolute load of shit, convoluted, overbooked, bollocks of a finish. And I had to look it up just to be sure in the end, because they don't really make it very clear, it was a disqualification. You're joking. It was a disqualification because Piper had deemed it that it was uh, Savage that hit the him with the object. Objects. Jesus Christ. I I didn't even know that. I thought it was, you know, a Bret Hart victory by Sharpshire. That That's even worse. This this fucking this is so bad. Yeah, oh, it's absolutely like, absolutely horrendous. Like Liz got laid out what a couple of weeks ago, um, when I think it was Sting gave her a Stinger splash, wasn't it? Yeah. And this is the first time we see her, and she comes out and goes after Ruddy Piper. Yeah. Why? I don't. Why? I really don't get it. Nothing about this made sense. Why was Ruddy Piper the referee? Yeah. It was never. He did nothing. He contributed nothing. Yeah, there was no point in having them there. If anything, it was just a distraction. Um, like, this is WCW at its excessive worst. Yeah. Like, not a clean finish. Yeah. A fucking nonsensical special referee. Yeah. Run-ins. And the finish, they don't even explain. Yeah. And do you know what the worst part was? I looked up what this match got rated. <laughs> oh, no. Dave Meltzer. Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Randy Savage. Bret Hart, two and a half stars. Uh, no, just no. It's not. By contrast... This, this is a dud. By contrast, he rated the Goldberg-Saturn match three quarters of a star. Ah, uh, get the... F- like, what are you talking... And, like, the main event, which I think... Not great at all, but he gave that one a dud. Ah, uh, no, like... Look, that that's proof that Dave Meltzer's ratings are purely the opinions of one person because one evidently insane person who was obviously very biased to somebody that was in that match that we won't talk about. Yeah, who was absolutely Brack a source. Hart. Yeah, <laughs> like you can't possibly watch the Goldberg match before this and the tag match after and somehow rate this one higher. It makes no sense. Makes no sense whatsoever. 
But it's time to get on to the main event. And hey, look, it's a hat trick of Bruce Buffer appearances. Uh, I appreciate how three matches, three sets of introductions, and the only time he puts in any fucking effort is into his own catchphrase. Um, We have the tag team, what he calls the Tag Team World Heavyweight Championships, uh, as Sting and the Giant wrestle the Outsiders. Uh, Outsiders come out first and it's survey time. I enjoy that after largely this, like it's it's pretty bad show uh, with maybe two or three exceptions. Um, The boos are ringing out when asked, when Scott asks who's here to see WCW and I can't blame them to be honest, uh, especially after that last match in particular. Uh, Sting and Giant are here having a conference about who should start at the start of the match. It's Sting and Hall to kick things off. Uh, Hall hits a choke slam on Sting and then immediately mocks the Giant as Giant glares back at him. Um, I, I think we said this before. Scott Hall's choke slam is fucking great. Yeah. Scott There's Hall a, is fucking great. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Scott Hall is great. But he, like that choke slam, that should have been one of his fucking main moves, like a yeah. finisher. Yeah. Uh, we get our giant and Nash face off next. Uh, it's a cool heel versus a new heel. And Tony, really quick to point out that the crowd has no idea how to feel about this. Uh, yeah, this is real where your shades of grey and turning people all the time shit just confuses the fuck out of crowds. They did not know how to react to this. Uh, yeah, Ke- Kevin Nash has been a face for the last, well, six weeks. Without ever actually turning face. Yeah, but still doing some heelish stuff every yeah. now and again. Like, he did attack the Giant, I think, recently, like, before he joined the NWO. Mm. But then Nash is in there with Sting. And Sting is the only solid babyface of this whole match. And Scott Hall hasn't been on TV, so he's still NWO, but for some reason is now just with Nash because, of course he is. Because. Which, as we find out at the end of the match... He isn't. <laughs> yeah. Not not to spoil things, but yeah. Like this is just one big angle. Yeah. Um it's the the result of all this confusion is that the crowd decides fairly early to decisively get on the side of the wolf pack, even though Sting is supposed to be the number one babyface in the company and is on the opposite team. Um Nash hits the world's slowest, worst looking big boot on Sting to get the heat. Fuck me, this match was boring. Uh like I was watching like, it. I was attempting to take notes, Lee. But my brain was trying desperately to stop paying attention. Yeah, I I did the same thing. I was sitting watching it and I was like I can't say I wasn't enjoying it because I was watching it and Yeah. You know, it had my attention. But I didn't take any notes. Like like you said, Sting was just getting the heat. So the hot tag was for the newly torn heel. Yeah. Giant to come in and clear house. Like the logic of the match just like it bewildered me at times watching it because nothing made any sense yeah and it was slow as well that was the thing you know it's not this great big intense fast main event like it's just slow it's plodding the giant at one point gets what I can only describe as a lukewarm tag (laughs) comes in at which point I wrote in my notes and I quote fuck me hurry up you big shite cunt (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I, I can't argue with that because it was slow. It was you. You were sitting there watching it, and it's just like right, get to the points because mm. it just wasn't interesting. Like, like I say, I watched it, had my attention, but I wasn't interested. It was real. Like it's it's weird because 
like I am invested in the whole NWO thing and the the split of the Wolfpack and the Wolfpack now being a thing and they're going to be baby faces very soon and mm. I was a big fan of the Wolfpack as a kid. Yeah. So I'm happy to see we're now at this point. Yeah. But also this match, you know, uh, I I just don't have a way to say like just how apathetic I was towards it. Yeah. Uh, Giant gradually gets up to the top as two men in the front row of the crowd start working a better match than the four men in the ring had been working. Did you see this? No. Two lads, like, right on the right-hand side of the hard cam while Giant is getting up, start, like, fake wrestling each other. And they were doing it so well that I actually thought the two of them were fighting at one point. Then the camera cut away, went back to the hard cam, and the two of them were laughing and hugging. So, you know, whatever. Great workers, the pair of them. Obviously, um, both work NXT main events now. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Giant, yeah, yeah. And that fan was Adam Cole. Um, Giant misses, misses the splash. Uh, Scott slaps Nash uh, until he gets up off the ground. Uh, Nash then goes for the jackknife and Hall hits Nash with the belt. A giant and Sting win. Sting standing on the apron as fucking baffled as I am trying to figure out the logic of this. What a load of bollocks. I, I will say that shot, that continual shot of Sting standing on the apron with the tag belt over his shoulder. Like, yeah, just a, an utter look of what the fuck has just happened please somebody with better video editing skills than me get that footage of him on the apron with that look that look that doesn't say oh I've been betrayed the look that just says what and like, please undercut that with the curb your enthusiasm music <laughs> exactly like that's exactly what it is it's like it is almost Larry David-esque in his reaction because he doesn't move. His face does not change for, what, a good, what, a minute? It might still be like that. It's just... And this is how the pay-per-view ends. Yeah. The pay-per-view ends on this shot of Sting. It's bizarre. Oh, my God. I just can't. Like, that was their hook to get you into Nitro. Yeah. Will Sting join the NWO? Yeah, which I was, mean, by the way, also the hook to get you to watch the pay-per-view after Thunder. But that was the hook since 1996. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah, you want to go back that far, like... Like, how? How are they still doing this? How? They certainly are. It's certainly a thing they're doing. Like, the only thing that would have made it more, like, added to the unintentional comedies of Sting looked directly down the barrel of the camera and there was like a... Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> As the credits rolled. Like, somehow Ric Flair comes out and turns on him again for some reason. Like, yeah. like uh, it, uh, this pay-per-view. I it, mean, look, there was, there was some, some bright spots, but mostly this was other shit. Like, this was bad. Yeah, this was the WCW that I think we're going to have to settle into. Um. Yeah, right. Let's let's just bring this to a close, because now I'm down. I'm <laughs> feeling sad. Um. <laughs> Lee, give me your winners and losers from Slamboree 1998. Chris Jericho. Yeah. I I don't want to hear any argument for anyone else. It's Chris Jericho. Yeah. No contest. Hands down, he's the biggest winner and the biggest loser. Because that was the story and he pulled it off fucking perfectly. Yeah. Um, I would say among the biggest losers are us, the fans. (laughs) Having watched those last two matches. uh, And Dave Meltzer's credibility. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Talk about a fella who's... The more you go back and read about his opinions. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Not good. Yeah, people think that that fall from grace only happened relatively recently, Lee. 
the whole, you know, if it happened in the Tokyo Dome thing. No, this was a thing going back years and years. He given Brett and Savage that bollocks two and a half stars. He can fuck off. Like, he can royally fuck off. Um, Yeah. Hey, but at least we have more Thunder coming up. That's it. Oh, there'll always be plenty more Thunder, my friend. Uh, and with that we'll we'll draw to a close this episode of the programme we'll be back in two weeks talking uh, our, our, our follow up uh, post pay-per-view episode of Thunder in the meantime at WCW Thunderpod is where you want to follow us uh, see the tweets see the content we love to engage with people on there please tweet us thoughts about the shows thoughts about the podcast anything you like we're always up for a good bit of chat whether you're Chris Jericho or not um as well individually I'm at the date Dave and Lee is at Malone underscore 713 um, check out Pro Wrestling Only where our home uh, our gracious home for, for the podcast uh, where we've been for several months now uh, a lot of fine podcasts on there including our, our friends over at Strong Style Story and Boom mm-hmm. Goes to Dynamite who were fortunate enough to uh, continue on the legacy of the large man appears cinematic universe on their program <laughs> last week so give them a listen Oh, can um, I can I also give a shout out to uh, a new podcast from a friend of mine, Andy Labar, who's now, now doing the uh, World Wrestling Fantasia podcast, which is at WW Fantasia on Twitter. Um, it's like a it's a weird podcast to describe, basically, but it's going to cover many different things. It's going to do pro wrestling drafts, talk about nostalgic stuff. There's no set time period. It could be like Japanese wrestling, could be American wrestling, could talk about best matches worst matches it'll talk about everything wrestling basically and Andy is a friend of mine he helped set us up with um, he like when we were talking about doing the the Thunder podcast he was somebody asked his opinion and said Jack go for it so I thought now is a good time to plug his new venture so if you do check that out let him know that uh, you're going off our recommendation yeah, let them know Days of Thunder sent you. And uh, also, as I said at the top of the, the show, go check out uh, Alan Farrell's Pro Rest Paradise over PWTorch.com, where I made an appearance this week talking OTT. For Days of Thunder, uh, Slamboree1998, I've been Dave Ryan. The man on the line with me has been Liam Malone. We shall see you in two weeks for our next stop down Thunder Road. I can see through the scars inside you. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the stars inside you